This week on The Futurists, Kathy Hackle. That moment was powerful because it taught me for these kids, it's not about, it's about world building and using these technologies to express themselves. Something as grief, something as complicated as death and understanding something like that. He took those feelings and expressed himself in a way where he took the technology to create something that was of value to him. Hey, hey, welcome back to The Futurist. I'm Rob Tursik, your host of the show. I'm thrilled to be back. Uh, it's been a while. I'm very excited to be recording episodes again. In, the, in my absence, uh, Brett King and others have stepped up to the plate. Today, we have someone I'm delighted to bring onto the show, someone I've known for a while, who is was at the very forefront of immersive media and the metaverse and has been following every transition and transformation in that field. She is Kathy Hackle. Kathy Hackle, welcome to the show. It's great to see you here. I'm thrilled to be here. Good to have you on The Futurist. Here on this show, what we like to do is talk to people who are designing, building, and inventing the future. And the whole point is to teach people how to think about the future. We want to know from you, like, how do you do that? Now, you happen to be someone who's been doing this for quite some time. Uh, we crossed paths a couple of years ago with Unity, which is a really important company when it comes to virtual worlds. Um, and at the time, the buzz was all about the metaverse. And of course, Facebook was making a big splash. They had just changed their name to Meta. Uh, they had invested tens of billions in this uh, this metaverse concept called Horizon Worlds, which ended up being kind of a flop, at least that version. Um, and so the whole world took that to say like, oh, well, I guess that's over for the metaverse. And they dusted their hands and they went on to the next thing, which I guess now is artificial intelligence. And I thought, well, hang on. <laughs> Hang on, that was a first iteration. Uh, it was an expensive first try. It didn't work as they hoped. On the other hand, not all is lost and there's life in this space yet. And uh, I always am I try to find people who can talk to me a little bit about what they see happening right now in what was formerly known as the metaverse. Uh, you know, this idea of immersive worlds where we can connect and communicate, not necessarily a game, though games, there's plenty of examples of that. But, but, you know, we might work together, we might learn together and play together and communicate and socialize together and so forth. And you are one of the leading voices. You have always had a good vision here. Uh, you've always been, always been able to zig when it was necessary to zig and zag when the zag was recalled for. And you seem to have been doing that as well. Now you're working at Journey uh, Consultancy and you're focused on spatial computing. So can you tell me a little bit about what's happened in the last two years since we last spoke? Yeah, so it's it's been a while. Um, I actually sold my consultancy. Uh, it was called mm -hmm. Futures Intelligence Group. Uh, so it got acquired in 10 months, which was crazy. I had my exit super quick. Um, and it was acquired by Journey, right? So now I'm a co-founder at Journey. Um, I run the virtual studio there, which in essence is, you know, a, a gaming studio of sorts. Uh, I always say now I'm a tech and gaming executive. But that's how I explain it to people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've been working there. It's been really exciting. And yeah, I mean... I'm doing lots of really interesting work, um, you know, around virtual worlds. And yes, I guess you could call it the metaverse. I mean, obviously, that's kind of like not in fashion right now to use the word. People are like a little, <laughs> uh, a lot of people have a reaction to the word. Um, it's so trendy, say, isn't it? Man, it's, it's such. You know, I, I'm popularly known in tech circles as the godmother of the metaverse. Like, like I still like I still embrace that in the sense that like I take pride in it. Mm -hmm. Um I will say something. It was interesting that you mentioned Horizon Worlds and the billions of dollars invested by Meta. I think it's important to mention here. Um, 
that the billions of dollars invested weren't only in Horizon Worlds, right? It was right. Reality, reality, reality Labs, which yes. has been doing amazing R&D work from everything from the glasses, you know, from Project Aria to Ray-Ban's glasses. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that to yep. Oculus and all the work they're doing in VR and, and they, you know, control labs and the acquisition of that and like the things they're doing with neural interfaces. Um, so, so yeah, so it's billions of dollars, but not just on Horizon Worlds. Um, right, so that's, that's, true. That's, that's a good clarification yeah. too, because there's a whole big tech stack, including hardware, that's yeah. necessary to make these things work well. And and Facebook, frankly, deserves credit, and Zuckerberg deserves credit yeah. for being fearless about embracing that challenge. It's a really hard thing to do, and there's tons of skeptics. So he's also, you know, he's fighting upstream in a sense. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, tell us about all the different components that are necessary to make a virtual world happen. Yeah, I think it depends on where you're building. Um, a lot of the work that I've done with the brands hasn't been going into like a AAA game. That's very complicated. It's a lot harder, right? Uh, it usually takes, you know, if you're a brand and you want to go into a AAA game, it usually takes like a year, year and a half, even two years uh, for something that to materialize. It might have sped up you know, lately, but um, most of the work I've done with the companies has been in, for example, Fortnite Creative or Roblox, uh, which is massive, 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 um, you know, virtual world. Um, so, so yeah, like I've been doing a lot of work with these companies trying to enter, like, trying to enter these spaces. Yeah. Um, so early on, um, uh, I was tapped by Walmart uh, to be their metaverse advisor in residence and cool. kind of worked with them as a consultant for, for almost a year, um, you know, and that actually led to my team at Journey and myself helping build Walmart Land, which was their first entrance into Roblox. Right. It was a virtual world. Um, that also led to me, this is crazy. I always pinch myself. This also led to me uh, producing a virtual concert inside Walmart Land called Electric Fest. Cool. Um, so I actually produced that concert. I can say I produced virtual concerts, which is exciting. Um, and worked with, uh, it was three, three, three stars. It was, uh, Kane Brown, Madison Beer and Youngblood. Um, and actually worked with them one-on-one -on -one with their teams to create these virtual couture looks. So like virtual, like virtual fashion that they wore for the, for electric fest, but it was custom made for that experience. So we call it virtual couture because it wasn't something that was like being sold. Um, okay, let's back up for a second here because I'm talking lot, about the right? people who are listening and I'm thinking some of them might be going, wait, how does all this Wait, fit together? So for the folks who are listening, a couple of years ago, Walmart launched a virtual world. It was a destination on the web, but it was a 3D immersive destination that you could go to. Did, did you need a headset or could you look at it on a phone or a oh, computer? I think Anything. you're referencing a video. That was a video that was, it was a prototype that was done for some, some type of South by Southwest experience. It was some okay. agency that did that. That is not my work. My oh. work is actually Walmart land. Uh, okay. in Roblox, which had more than 18, I think it's 18 million visits. I can't remember the number. Um, it was actually okay, so just inside of the, inside the inside game Roblox. Roblox. Like my yeah. work with them is post anything that you could have seen at that time. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't VR. It was pretty much, well, you could have, I mean, you could, you could go at, to Walmart land in VR. Um, but it, you had to be like a beta tester, like but a regular anyway, computer or even a phone would be. Uh, yeah. 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 So it's most mo more of a mobile gaming experience. Um, okay. I but think yeah, it's important for people. It's important for people to understand that you don't need to wear a VR headset to experience virtual worlds. That they're accessible yeah. on any digital device now. Mm -hmm. um, and then you you talk about fashion. And before we skip over that, because that's a pretty big piece to unpack <laughs> as well, uh, tell me more about digital fashion because that's actually the very first time we connected. That was your big yeah. focus, and you were quite excited. You had a lot to say about it. And I know that in the world of uh, you know of, of um, Digital items, uh, things on the uh, transacted on the blockchain, 
there was a lot of activity a couple of years ago in fashion, in digital fashion. Most major fashion houses were experimenting with NFTs and so forth. Mm-hmm. By the way, I thought it was very creative. Like that was a that was yeah. a very exciting time in the crypto space. Tell us a little bit about your work there with fashion. Yeah, I mean, that's still going on. That's still mm-hmm. for me, fashion is my you know, my creative outlet of choice. Um, that's where I express myself. People, some people paint, some people sing. For me, it's fashion, right? So um, I actually create fashion. I've got a, a separate from Journey. I have my own label called Verse Lux. It's part label, part lab, and we do different collections. We have what capsule collection called the Frills, um, which is pretty much jewelry with NFC chips that mint as physical NFTs or physical digital collectibles. Uh, we're going to be making some really interesting announcements pretty soon about that. And yeah, we've got other capsule collections coming and, and doing some really fun stuff there. That's more like my creative outlet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I'll tell you a funny story. So in 2020, I wrote an article, uh, Ryan Gill from Crucible um, came to me and he said, uh, I've been thinking about this idea and concept of direct to avatar. It was 2020, mind you. And I said, I love that term. Let's explore it together. So we wrote together an article in Forbes in 2020 that said, is direct to avatar the next direct to consumer? We asked the question, right? And then explained what do we mean by that? What what do we see brands like? How how do we see this playing out? And that article just lit something up in in like the fashion world. I started getting like messages from like C-suite at Top Maison's. And that led to me working with Ralph Lauren, led to me working with Louis Vuitton, led to me working with Nike, um, you know, with a lot of these really amazing brands to enter some of these spaces or try to understand, you know, how do they go into these virtual worlds? What is, you know, is, is, is you know, are, is virtual fashion something they should pursue? Right. Um, mm-hmm. So the fashion space continues to be galvanized and continues to invest in this. I mean, you just had Gucci at New York, uh, Gucci at um, in, during Fashion Week. Uh, with their new creative director, at the same time as they were doing the physical catwalk, they they kind of reskinned uh, Gucci Town and Roblox, and um, you know you've got Louis Vuitton, for example, announcing via their collection of NFTs, very very exclusive, and just recently went into Discord. So yeah, like I don't I don't see the fashion world slowing down, whether it is virtual fashion in gaming that is not connected to Web three, and they continue to do things in the Web three space that is more the crypto mm-hmm. side. Um, so I think that one, of the, one of the cool things you can do in worlds like uh, Roblox, mm-hmm. the fashion brands are able to sell accessories. You can actually accessorize your avatar. Um, and I know I'm some sure some of the folks that are listening are thinking, wait a minute, that just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but it's really important for the people who are listening to open your mind to the possibility that there's a rising generation that spends so much time in virtual worlds, that spends so much time immersing themselves in alternate realities, that they place greater value in how they're represented there and how they express themselves there. And fashion has an important role to play there as a signaling device to community to tell people which tribe you're a part of. The fashion brands realized this even before the pandemic. Uh, they started to experiment in this yeah. space because footfall traffic into real estate, into real shopping centers uh, was falling down, and particularly with the, the demographics they were trying to reach. But then when the pandemic hit, this became like their primary channel to connect with people. So there was this tremendous surge of innovation at the time. 
And as Kathy's sharing right now, this continues to this very day. So if you haven't been paying attention to Roblox and by extension, Fortnite um, as uh, you know, kind of immersive worlds that are more than games where people meet and do lots of stuff, including concerts, mm-hmm. uh, then you're missing out a really important chapter because this is a this is like an evolutionary cycle, but it covers a huge number of people. Hundreds of millions of people are participating. Billions. Robert, one in every three people, there's three billion, one in every three people is is labeling themselves a gamer. That's massive. The gaming economy is worth more than Hollywood and music put together. Like, I think that's what doesn't click in people's brains. Like, this is a massive, very thriving economy. Um, It is huge. It is growing. Um, And to your point, you're talking about generationally the impact, right? So, um. I actually got to their medium, right? It's like really belongs to that group. They really identify oh, yeah. strongly. And there's a real generational divide. You're right. Cause there's yeah, a whole yeah. generation that doesn't even see that universe, right? They're, they're, it's invisible to them. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just that they go in between both realities. So I got a chance to, uh, to work with the Harvard business reviews analytics service. Uh, I commissioned them to work on a study on the business value of generation alpha. Um, so for anyone listening, they've probably heard millennials, of course, Gen Z, which are all on TikTok. Um, and then you've got Gen Alpha who are 2010 and still being born, right? So any kid born between 2010 and still being born, those kids are Gen Alpha. Um, my three kids at home are Gen Alpha, right? So, wow, so you have your um, own focus group right there. I have a focus group at home. <laughs> doing piano lessons right now. <laughs> which is great. And I've got different ranges. So it's been really interesting to see kind of like, the different scope of of uh, of the different perspectives, um, but Generation Alpha, you know, and in this in this Harvard Business Review briefing paper that that we commissioned, um, and it's a free resource by the way. I'll, I'll give you the links so you can include in the show notes. It's a free resource; anyone can download it. Um, you can better understand who they are, where they're spending their money, what do they enjoy, because in essence, what you're saying is true. Generationally, it's the generation that will not know a world without AI. They will not know a world without streaming. They will not know a world without augmented reality. And they are the spatial computing generation that will eventually move from phones into glasses. I mean, I will and you will because we're, you know, early adopters, but they're really the ones that are going to be born. Like they're, you know, most of these kids are using iPads since they're born. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a really interesting generational shift that's happening in how they view reality. Like I always contest and I tell anyone um, for this younger generation, just because it happens in the virtual space doesn't make it less real. For them, it's not the real yeah. world and the virtual world. It's right. physical and virtual, but it's just real. They're all, it's all real. It's a continuum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's and, not one or the other. That's a really good framing because sometimes people do think of it that way. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of like legacy thinking from the days when we were, <laughs> we would do online sessions. You know, we weren't always connected. Then there was a real time where you're like, I'm going online. Now I'm going offline. I'm going to be back in the world. But that just isn't the case anymore. We're connected all the time. And, you know, we're, uh, it, it sort of permeates our existence constantly. You know, you, you're never far from a digital screen anymore. Yeah. And, and their avatars are incredibly important to them and what they dress, you know, right. how they dress them. It's self-expression for them. Their, their virtual homes. Like, I'll sit with my kids and we'll be playing something like Adopt Me in Roblox and they'll be decorating their houses and tell me, oh, mom, look at my look at my tiny house and look at my mansion and look at my this. And it, it, that's where they'll spend their money. Um, I shared this with the media the other day and I said, it's really interesting to me, especially from a financial perspective, the amount of money these kids are spending, right? Their, their allowance is going into Robux or V-Bucks or whatever it is. 
And even my children, like during Christmas, they were like, hey, mom, what are we getting for Christmas from auntie so-and-so? And I said, auntie so-and-so is sending you whatever, $40 hypothetically. Um, and they said they immediately, immediately at that moment made the conversion into Robux. They literally said it's a hundred, what, what, you know, 800, whatever Robux it was. Yeah. They can't do that with euros, but they right. can immediately do the conversion in their heads into a virtual currency inside a virtual game. So those signals, right? Those signals tell you like, hmm, where is this going? How do they view the world? Um, you know, because for a lot of people, that seems very foreign or weird. They're like, why would we spend something for an avatar? Like, why would we spend money on something for an avatar? For them, yeah. this is important. Like, my kids will spend more money on Roblox or be more excited to spend money on Roblox than if I take them to, a, you know, to a store and say, hey, buying clothes kit. Like, they'll roll their eyes. Right. They'll be like, oh. That stuff's a commodity. It's true. Yeah. And let's be frank. The real world shopping experience is no fun anymore. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been fun since before the pandemic, but now it's really no fun. Yeah. So I get that. There's like a lot more entertainment value in virtual worlds. And they're highly social. You connect mm -hmm. with people, even friends who are far away. Now, how do your kids, if you don't mind, let me ask you a couple questions about your kids as a focus group. Do your children keep the stuff that they buy? Like, do they have collections of digital items or do they dispose them of or do they trade them away? Or all they of them? Some of them they collect, some they trade. Okay. Like, they'll they'll be like, sometimes, I'll give you an example. They'll, there was a three-headed dog, um, you know, whatever it's called. Of course, of course there was. Severus, whatever it's called. Um, in, in Adopt Me, and I was so attached to it. And then I was watching my son play, and he was like, no, I traded it. I was like, no, don't trade it. And then he traded one of his rare chow chows in this game. I'm like, don't trade your chow chow. Um, but he does all these trades. He changes it up because he wants something different. Or um, So yeah, they keep some things that they might be attached to, um, but they do trade a lot or, you know, change it up. So um, yeah, I got but it's not, But it's not things. speculative, right? Like it's not like crypto where people no. are trying to like game the market or corner the market and stuff. That, that's not what it's about. It's about the fun of exchanging mm -hmm. and kind of the ecstasy of communication and yeah. trading a digital object is a kind of communication. Yeah. Or like they really want that dinosaur, but the dinosaur is a rare pet and they have to trade two chow chows for a dinosaur. So um, like all that happens in these spaces and it's real. Like they'll, they'll be like, oh, or my son will come. One time he came over and he was like, I just got scammed. <laughs> He's like, this guy told me to trade all these and he never sent me the, the whatever he was trying to get. Um, so it does, you know, like yeah. it's interesting to watch these sorts of things. Um, I'll give you a really beautiful example away from my son getting scammed. This was really interesting for me to, to, to uh, understand as well. Uh, since we're talking about the kids and as a, as a them, you know, yeah, demographic. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was last year, uh, there was a famous gamer uh, from Minecraft called Technoblade um, who passed away at 26 from cancer. And, you know, very young, my son was a fan. And uh, I remember him coming down and saying, mom, I just heard Technoblade died. And his dad had read this letter on YouTube. Like he just came down, he was, he was distraught. He like, he had a lot of questions, you know, at that time he was 10. And, you know, like, mom, why did he have to die? Like, there was a lot of really heavy questions for a child to process. Um, so I spoke to him a little bit. And then he said, mom, I've got an idea. And he left. He went back to he went to his like computer. He's a Roblox developer. Um, and like 30 minutes or an hour or so later, he comes into my office. and He's like, mom, I need to show you something. So I head over to his um, computer and he's created in Roblox a memorial. Oh, my gosh. That moment was powerful because it taught me for these kids, it's not about, it's about world building and using these technologies to express themselves. Something as grief, something as complicated as death and understanding something like that. He took those feelings and expressed himself 
in a way where he took the technology to create something that was of value to him. And that memorial actually, uh, some some of his friends visited it. He actually made like $100. <laughs> um, so it was a really it interesting moment. He made that even. Um, That's astounding. It was powerful to me. No, but I, get, I get what you're saying. These are expressive tools, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a new kind of literacy that's being developed right now. And again, it's generational. So some folks who are listening are definitely going to have question marks floating <laughs> above their head because they're going to be like, wait, I don't get it. This stuff is totally virtual. Therefore, it's valueless. But what, what they're missing is the value is in the eye of the beholder, qualities in the eye of the beholder. And sometimes there's experiential value or even sentimental value that you can attach to a digital experience. Um, yeah, sometimes it's commodified. You can trade it, you can sell it, right? Sometimes, But sometimes that's not the point. Sometimes it's the experiential value of making it and sharing it and having community around it that is uh, that, that is what people really truly prize or where they, where they really place their identity. I think this is important. Uh, I've been doing a study right now about the growth of the creator economy, which is just mm-hmm. astounding. You know, even outside again, games is definitely yeah. a major driver of it. Things like Fortnite and, and Roblox, uh, Minecraft, and so on. But beyond that, even uh, you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of activity. Whether it's uh, TikTok, the millions and millions of people on TikTok are creating video. People on YouTube, some of whom are doing extraordinarily well, like they're building their own media businesses. I contrast that to traditional media. Yeah. A field that I'm very familiar with, and I know you are too, uh, where traditional media seems stagnant. And it seems e- even things like Netflix, to me, have become a lot less interesting in the last couple of years. Um, they're, they're formulaic. The process seems very rigid. It's a handful of cr- people, creators in those fields who are allowed to create or have permission. It, it's all permission-based. It's all budgeting-based and finance-based. Um, and in those, in those uh, industries, there's an army of technicians now who evaluate your work, even at the level of a script, mm-hmm. and they're starting to put metrics against it. Uh, the kind of the way that you know metric-driven game design happened 10 or 15 years ago, but now they're doing it with like motion pictures, and I'm sure they're scoring music in the same way. In fact, I know they are uh, to try to evaluate whether or not this is going to succeed. And I got news for you. It's like, that will never work. Like you're never going to create a hit with metrics like that because you, what you're taking out of it is the magic and the magic is all human execution. But meanwhile, on the other side, you've got this group that we've just been talking about, mm-hmm. and they're building it. They're not necessarily yeah. consuming it. They're making it, and they're sharing it, and they're getting empowered, and they're participating in this. So while you've got this small and kind of like hard-to-get-into club of professional motion picture people and professional music people and so on, on the other side of the spectrum, there's this large and ever-expanding group of people who I think are in the hundreds of millions, and you're right, it reaches yeah. billions of people. This is a quite an extraordinary moment in media. It's like the second century of electronic media. And this time around, it's for everybody to create and consume together. Well, and then you add degenerative AI tools that are coming to it and democratizing, I mean, Runway. Just look at the powerful, <laughs> Runway is a generative AI tool that does video, right? You can do, you can pull up, you can put a picture in and it'll give you a video. You can put, you know, text, it'll turn it into a video. Like, it's just a truly amazing tool. And um, We're going to take a just- break and come back. Hold on to that thought, because this is a great, great segue into the next round. But before we do that, we always like to get to know our guests a little bit. So I'm going to ask you a couple quick fire questions. Just give us a quick answer. Uh, what's the earliest experience you had of science fiction? Could be a book or a movie or a TV show. I would say The Hunted Mansion at Disney, eight years old. Seeing oh, okay. uh, that, that to me, that's the first time I saw an augmented reality. Okay, very good. Very cool. Uh, who is someone who has made a forecast or a prediction that really impressed you, that made an impression on you, maybe made you make a career decision or some other choice? Well, I'll tell you who I wasn't impressed with. Can I say that? Sure, you can. You <laughs> can answer however you want. I- 
I love the Pivot podcast. I love Kara and Scott. I just don't agree with Scott's vision of the Apple Vision Pro. I think he's completely wrong and does not understand where spatial computing is going. Oh, share a little more there because I don't know what he said about that. Yeah, he's been very negative. I mean, he's he's an AI, AI optimist, but I think he's mm-hmm. missing the connection between the spatial computing side and, artific- and artificial intelligence. Like we need uh, we're going there after the break. Okay, that's great stuff. But now you're teasing. We got to take our little break. So let's do that then. Uh, folks, you're listening to The Futurists. I'm Rob Tursik, and this is Kathy Hackle telling me all about immersive computing, spatial computing, and the future of immersive worlds. Hang on tight. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support The Futurist podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the Fintech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network, and Next Gen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to Provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. Hey there, it's The Futurist. I'm Rob Tursik, your host. And today I'm interviewing Kathy Hackle, who has been a leader at the very forefront of the things that we call the metaverse or immersive media or virtual worlds or now spatial computing. The terminology changes, but the concept is powerful. It's about putting people in a world where they're not just consumers or watchers or observers, but they're active participants. And Kathy's got this great track record of working with major fashion brands uh, to activate their brands in these spaces. Kathy, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about your work with the fashion companies. You talked a little bit before, before the break um, but I think a lot of folks are are not aware that uh, you know Gucci and uh, Louis Vuitton have actually made games. Like they've been in the game business uh, on their own, and I thought that was a pretty bold move for a fashion house to try to do. But they're really trying to make a, a genuine connection, right? Like an experiential connection with their with their future customers. A hundred percent. And um, we can definitely get into spatial computing later because my definition is completely different from the metaverse. But let me okay. talk about fashion <laughs> first. Um, so. Definitely, I feel like the fashion world has definitely been a first mover when it comes to virtual worlds, gaming, metaverse, whatever you want to use. Um, and and they've really, you know, they've been the ones testing the water here, which is really interesting to me. Um, and and yeah, like they, I think the, the interesting thing here is that they're going in into gaming, right? Very, very, very in, in very smart ways. Some things go well, some things don't go well, but a lot of it. But then what you're starting to see, which is even more interesting in my perspective, you're starting to see gaming impact physical fashion, right? So it's this this moment where you're starting to see this loop, right? When it comes to culture, because I always talk about like in gaming, culture is being created. Like there's yeah. streetwear, but there's yeah. also people or people are wearing avatars and it's starting to impact things. So you had, for example, in February, you had Pharrell's, um, you know, debut as a creative director of Louis Vuitton and a lot of it was pixelated. You had Loewe had the pixelated collection. You had, you know, at Fashion Week, you had tons of stuff happening, you know, during Fashion Month. So you're starting to see this in this kind of relationship that is symbiotic right now between fashion and gaming, right? People see them as two separate things, but you're going to start to see more of that come together. And um, a lot of these brands, like I said, at the forefront, to me, I'll be very, very, um, very honest. I feel like sometimes with with technologies, it tends to be maybe different industries that are first movers, like, you know, adult entertainment tends to be one of the ones that 
uses a lot of these technologies. In this case, fashion has been at the forefront of these gaming spaces. And, um, it, you know, I and I was mentioning to you during the break that um, I have like a famous quote, <laughs> uh, something that I said once, um, it was a couple of years ago, and I said, the world's next Coco Chanel is probably a 10-year-old girl designing skins in Roblox. And that quote took on a life of its own. It's kind of well known, you know, in, in, in the Roblox space. And, and you're a big well, advocate, right? You're you're a big supporter of designers. In fact, you're, you're supporting them in every way, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I started to see that like Parsons, for example, has a Roblox um, fashion design class right now. And you had the Polymoda Institute in Italy as well, changing some things. You've got different universities doing stuff. And I love that. But for me, it was like, okay, but who's going to help these kids actually become the next, the world's next Coco Chanel in virtual fashion? Um, so I decided to partner with Florida International University um, to create the uh, Kathy Hackle Virtual Fashion Design Endowed Scholarship. So one of the world's first scholarships focused on virtual fashion. Um, I believe there's we're going to need to fund these students, these creatives that want to go that route. And um, and it's just been, you know, it's been really exciting um, from, you know, yeah, it's it's interesting when you start to talk to all these like up and coming creatives. And I know you do a lot of work with the creative creator economy, but there's this whole world of creators that are not necessarily developing games, but they're developing fashion. Yeah. Um, you know, in these spaces. So, and some of them are making really great money. Some of them are partnering with like, for example, Carly Kloss um, to create, you know, fashion in these spaces. So, so yeah. You I, I was just, I was just talking to some folks in the banking industry mm -hmm. and uh, I was telling them like, look, this virtual economy is growing really quickly. It grows about twice the rate as the real economy mm -hmm. um, and it's generational. So there's growth opportunities ahead and so forth. And they were curious. They were really curious about it. Um, and I said, look, there are transactions happening. Like this is a yeah. transactional medium is a big deal. You can buy and sell these things. Uh, in, and that means that there's an opportunity for bankers as well in the future. I think you can actually say that you could do um, almost anything that you can do in the real world. There's an analog because uh, mm -hmm. there's a version of that. It might not be identical in the virtual space uh, up to and including things like um, futures trading and derivatives mm -hmm. uh, for digital items or for uh, for virtual goods. As crazy as that stuff sounds, that's happening now. Like that's not hypothetical. Yeah. It's uh, today's the world, and and it's more than Roblox, right? So there's also Fortnite. There's other worlds coming. Uh, there's more than a thousand online worlds of various sorts, mostly focused on games. But that makes sense because that answers the fundamental question of what do you do there, right? So the mm -hmm. the gameplay is the draw. Usually it's a gameplay that's so simple you can get it in minutes. Might be hard to master, but you don't have to. You don't have a steep learning curve. But then once you're there and you got that habit and your friends are there, then you start to figure out other things. In the old days, online games, we used to call that emergent behavior. Yeah. Uh, where you'd create the world and then people would tell you what they wanted to do with it. They'd show up and <laughs> take, their, take it in, in their own direction. Uh, but now it's cool. The, the game publishers have started to realize mm -hmm. that they can open up their space to other people, other brands, other kinds of experiences, and then allow the users to mess around, experiment, play, and grow. I, I think that's so powerful. And this, this is like, like you know, kind of the old parent attitude is, oh, it's just a game. But I see it as much more. It's a pathway towards becoming a designer, becoming a creator, becoming a game designer, becoming a coder. Like you know, that's certainly a big part of Roblox's appeal. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can actually envision then someone uh, setting off on a career path or having a future uh, in in these spaces. And that's kind of what you're trying to facilitate with the scholarship. That's that's yeah. part of what you're trying to foster. Have you had students graduate yet, or is that a very new project? No, we just announced it a couple months ago, so oh, okay. it's it's okay. really early in the process. 
Well, we'll um, have to have you back on the show to talk a bit more about yeah. that in the future. Okay, so um, you mentioned that there's a different take on spatial computing. And so why don't you do that for us? Give us a little bit of um, where things are now and where you see it heading in the future, maybe the near future, and take us out a little further. Yeah, so um, just for frame of reference, just for people to understand kind of why... You know, I have deep spatial computing uh, knowledge. Um, I worked for I worked at HTC Vive, which is a VR develop like a VR headset company, um, and then went over to Magic Leap. Right when I worked at Magic Leap, it used to be the tech darling, right, um, of, of the tech mm-hmm. and VC world. And pretty much what we were building was a spatial computer. We were doing spatial computing. Uh, we had a, you know we had a definition that was you know drilled into my brain at that time. But I've evolved I've evolved my definition in some ways. At that time. Uh, the definition that Magic Leap had was uh, spatial computing is a new computing platform that uses AI and computer vision to seamlessly blend virtual content in your reality. Um, I've evolved my definition since then. So for me, when we talk about the metaverse, we're Mm -hmm. talking about the successor state to today's mobile internet. When we're talking about spatial computing, we're talking about something bigger, much broader that encompasses both AR and VR, but encompasses AI, IoT, 5G, sensors, like so many different technologies. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's so much broader than just metaverse. And um, and so I think to me, it's important to mention that because okay, that's it's good. about this new computing platform. It's about the new hardware, the new content, new everything that's going to happen. But it, it AI plays a critical role in spatial computing. So I'll read something to you that I wrote the other day. I said, spatial computing is the next shift in how humans interact with technology. It involves a range of technologies from AI, XR, IoT, sensors, and more in order to empower and create a new form of human-computer interaction, one that is more immersive and impactful. Um, it's basically the computer, it, it's 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 us engaging with technology in new, new ways, technology kind of almost becoming invisible, but the devices that we're going to use, our computers are going to see the world and understand the world around us, which is a giant leap from what we've done. I mean, our phones are rudimentary spatial computers, really, really rudimentary because they have LiDAR and they do a lot of fun stuff. They're loaded with sensors yeah. that gather, gather yeah. a lot of contextual data around where we are, what we're doing, mm-hmm. where we're going and so forth. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's like the preliminary here, stuff. Or once you use maybe, depending on the device that, you know, I have, there's a whole debate on whether it's screenless or, you know, whether it's something like Humane or whether it's something like Apple Vision Pro or, you know, um, smart glasses. That's that's a whole debate, but to so me, one of, one of the distinctions much broader. One of the distinctions you're making is between a destination that you go to, which mm-hmm. is, let's say, uh, Facebook's Horizon World would be a good example of that, right? Uh, you put on a certain set of gear, and then you go to that world, and you have a session in that world, and then you come back out to the real world. That's virtual reality or immersive worlds or virtual worlds. Uh, what you're describing now, though, is I'm in the real world. And I have this uh, headset or maybe goggles or some other apparatus. Glasses. Eventually like (laughs) Ray-Bans. And it allows me to see an overlay of data on the real world. So I'm not leaving the world. I'm in my house or I'm in the street or I'm in, you know, wherever I happen to be work or something. And I can pull data overlays in. And and those could be like lenses. So I could have an entertainment one or Mm -hmm. a productivity one. Or if I'm a repairman, I could see like the parts in the auto, you know, that I'm trying to replace or something like that. You know, so there's a lot of different scenarios. Uh, and that's limitless. I agree with you. Like that's a yeah. gigantic space. I call them layers. Like when I was at Magic, we call them layers. It's like layer zero is the physical world, but there's all this data that we're already putting out, right? With our phones and our own devices. It just happens that when we have that spatial computer, we're able to see that content, right? Not in ones and zeros because we don't normally consume it like that. Uh, but we'll see in the form of annotations, in the form of holograms, in the form of many different things. Um, so yeah, it's a completely different perspective. 
And, and I think it's important to mention for a lot of people, and I think one of the definitions that was given about the metaverse, um, it, it talks only about virtual worlds. Like to me, the physical world is part of the metaverse. It just hasn't, hasn't been fully enabled. It will be enabled through spatial computing, right? Yeah. Um, and spatial computing includes, yes, the physical world in the majority of it. But with spatial computing, you're going to be able to dial between if you want fully immersive or if you want physical world. And most of the time will be, you know, physical world with data overlays, accessing whether it's the entertainment layer, the information layer, the security layer. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a broader, broader perspective. And I think what it's interesting when I hear people talk about this is like humans are spatial beings. We're volumetric beings. We live in a 3D world. So why wouldn't we want to see the te- like the, right now where I'm talking to you on Zoom, it's a flat surface. <laughs> I agree but, with you. I talk you about know? the tyranny of the rectangle because we yeah. go from one rectangle to the next rectangle. Even when you look at like, you know, Google just turned 25 yesterday and, uh, and, and um, say, you know, uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. the interfaces haven't changed in 20 years. They're still flat rectangles. Like YouTube is this amazing space filled with video, but it's just a bunch of rectangles. So yeah, we're dominated by rectangles. We, we look at rectangles, we carry a rectangle in our pocket mm-hmm. or a purse, we stare at them all day at work. And then inside of that rectangle is another series of rectangles where what you're describing is dimensional and you can go through yeah. it into it and be inside of it and look around and look up and look down. That's always the big aha moment for people when they put on a VR set for the first time, a headset, mm-hmm. they look up and they're like, holy cow, or they look down, oh my gosh, you know, so that that's a, an emotional uh, feeling, right? You sense that. Um, and that's powerful because it engages more of the human uh, cortex. You're, you're using more of your yeah. brain. Power. Uh, those are, and those it uses are your natural, your we're natural spatial beings, natural volumetric. Sure. And I think the advances you're starting to see in spatial computing are in, incredibly interesting. Um, I'll give you an example. So I was at Co- at the Code Conference, and um, Google had Project Starlight, uh, which is their kind of like, it's like these booths that they use where you go in and you're in front of a screen and you're talking to someone. But I can see you in 3D. If you almost hand me an apple, I could almost touch it. Like I could see the person's pores. It was beautiful. Like I wasn't wearing a device. It was done through, you know, through spatial mapping and volumetric and like all and AI, of course, there's a big component of AI, but it was beautiful. So we're going to see spatial is going to be not only the spatial computer that we wear on our faces, but it's also going to be different devices where we're able to engage in these 3D worlds, um, in these 3D forms. So let's, let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. So you mentioned AI several times, and I think I want to make the connection a little more explicit for people. Lately, the focus has been generative AI. So using yeah. large language model, often using text as an input, you write a description and then the system will generate. Maybe it's a video, maybe it's a picture, maybe it's a voice, maybe it's something else, a song. Um, that's generative AI. It's important. It's growing fast. It's been an area of big focus and lots of investment. It's not the only kind of AI. So what you're also talking about is the analytic AI that can analyze a space uh, and re- and do procedures on top of that or procedural rendering of spaces. Mm-hmm. This is a different kind of AI. actually precedes the generative stuff. It's been around for quite yeah. some time. A lot of people don't realize, uh, for instance, I'm holding up an iPhone here. When you take a picture with your iPhone, um, well, that camera, half the camera is AI, half the camera uh, is neural processing. And that camera, the minute you point it at something, it starts taking pictures. And yes, there's the one picture that you take when you tap on that, um, that button. Um, but Apple's neural processing has already taken eight other pictures. And then the system itself selects the best picture, which might not be the one that you took, but it shows Mm -hmm. you that as if it's the one you took. This I find quite amazing because you go, wait, who's actually making the picture? Is it me or is it the AI? 
Well, it's collaborative, right? And it's collaborative. Really, it's that's collaborative. A really positive view, I think, of artificial. People are very threatened. Yeah, by yeah. And, and that's where something. you know you mentioned whose prediction I didn't like is because I think that for for for, for you know for Prof G for Scott Galloway, his perspective is like this is a VR device. I'm like, no, no, no. This is Apple's. This is as much an AI play for Apple as it is yes. an XR play. Right, Let's talk about Vision Pro. I mean, yeah. Vision Pro is an exquisite achievement. It's a technological uh, milestone. There's so much advance in computing in that one device. Now, I don't have one. I don't think if you have one, if you do, tell me you do. But from what I've gathered, it's an astonishing thing. 8K in both eyes. So that's incredible. Uh, it's measuring you. It's watching you while you're watching through it. It can show you the world around you. It can process all that information and keep exact XYZ coordinates, even as you move your head around the room and so forth. The refresh rate is really great. It's kind of a step above, I would say, an order of magnitude improvement over previous head-mounted yeah. displays. Is that your take on it as well? I think it's quite an achievement. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always say this. It's the most technologically advanced piece of consumer technology out there. And I mean, I love the MetaQuest 3. I think it's fantastic. And I love yeah. the, their new Ray-Ban um, smart glasses. But yeah, I mean, the Apple Vision Pro is in a, life, in a category of its own. And I think you're going to start to see more and more of these, you know, this raise what I call the post-smartphone future, like what replaces our phone, right? Yeah. It's a, some to level of spatial computer. It's a spatial computer, right? Yeah. Um, so you'll see you'll see that. But yeah, the, the tech, I don't think people... During the keynote, I don't think people, you and I did, but most people didn't grasp the level of technology that went into this device, the amount it's of time they worked incredible. on it. Um, and there's sensors, like yeah. it's tracking XYZ, you're in space, it's tracking your hands and so forth. And I know uh, to, for full credit, Oculus, Meta, uh, you know, they, they actually did a lot of the groundwork here. They paved the way to this device, but Apple's really kicked it up a notch. Yeah. And the um, MetaQuest 3 is pretty exquisite too. They're just, yeah, I agree. you know, you've got the, the the Vision Pro, which is obviously on a league of its own. And then you've got the MetaQuest 3, which even during the keynote, um, Boz said, this is the best value spatial computing device out there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, these are two different perspectives. And that's where I think it gets interesting because if you look at Apple, what does Apple sell? Apple sells phones, watches, computers. Right. So they're going to focus on selling what they're really good at selling that people the hardware. Pay them the hardware. And yes, they've got Apple TV and that's just going to be an added bonus, but they're going to have tons of partners. Whereas you look at, uh, you know, Facebook, Facebook, Meta, Meta is going to go over the mass is they're going to go after mass market. They're going to mm -hmm. go after, you know, these the broader base. Right. Yeah, they have um, to. Yeah. In a way, it's a little bit like Android and iOS. You know, there, there's a mm -hmm. high end and then there's a mass market opportunity as well. There'll be different markets. Yeah. Well, and you know what? It's interesting because Zuckerberg, I'll, 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 I'll tell you this. During an interview with uh, with The Verge, Zuckerberg mentioned that he didn't view it as uh, a, I, a, iOS in, um, in Android. He views it more as PC and Mac. Oh, right? nice. Yeah, of course. So that, I thought that to, was a really interesting perspective. I was like, I kind of agree with him in that perspective. He wants because, the niche, my, yeah, yeah, it was a really yeah, interesting perspective. Uh, so so um, I have a dumb question, but I really am dying to ask. So you have a beautiful hairstyle. By the way, you look great. Yeah, thank uh, you. <laughs> I want to know, um, would you ever wear a ski goggle? Which is basically yes. what the yes. visor. Yes, yes, the, yes, yes, yes. The Vision Pro is. Oh my gosh! Yes. So you don't mind that strap? It's not going to mess with your I hair. I don't mind it. No, no. Like that to me is a fashion statement itself. Like, oh, cool. No. Okay, cool. Right. No, on. no, no. Like, okay, uh, good. No, uh, <laughs> that to me people... is like no. It's like having a Birkin bag. Like hell yeah. <laughs> a lot of folks who are not in the space don't are not familiar with the technologies that are necessary to create the 3D experience, and it's important to note that. 
Facebook doesn't build that technology and Apple doesn't build that technology. In both cases, uh, those virtual worlds were built on Unity. Unity is a mm-hmm. software platform. Some people call it middleware. Um, mostly it's referred to as a game engine, which is not that helpful for people who don't know about games, but that means there's a series of libraries that you can call on that have already been written that allow you to create effects like mm-hmm. weather and atmospherics and so forth. It allows you to draw a window. It allows you to place an object and so forth. Uh, that's a lot of difficult code to write. Uh, today, most game developers, about 70% of games are written using Unity tools Mm -hmm. uh, in some form or another. Now, Unity and their rival, Epic, have both gone through a kind of a bumpy patch lately. So even as we're on this road to this brilliant 3D immersive future, both companies hit a rough patch. Unity had Mm -hmm. some layoffs earlier this year, and then a couple of weeks ago, attempted to adjust their pricing, and it kind of backfired, huge backlash from the gamer community. Uh, Now they've kind of adjusted it or stepped down. They said they were sorry. (laughs) And today, Epic announced uh, that they just laid off 16% of their workforce. Some 800 or more people got fired. And, um, you know, in both cases, it's kind of a bummer. They're really cool companies. I think they're really humble companies in the sense that they enable other people to make great experiences and they're really all about supporting creators. Uh, what I think a lot of folks don't know, even gamers do not know, is both companies have basically been uh, essentially subsidizing the game industry. Unity hasn't made money in 10 years. Uh, Epic loses money. Uh, they have been subsidizing it from their game Fortnite, which is famously profitable. Um, but now it turns out, as of today, Tim Sweeney, the CEO at Epic, said um, they can't continue to subsidize it. They're going to have to trim, and they started to jettison some divisions and trim back some staff and so forth. doesn't mean they're going to stop the tools. Those two companies are Yeah, yeah. The tools to will remain. We need them. Like, yeah. we need those tools. But there has um, been turbulence in this arena. Yeah. You know, and famously Facebook, you know, a year and a half ago, they also fired a whole bunch mm-hmm. of people that were working on immersive world. I think Microsoft shut down their industrial metaverse team as well. Uh, so it's not all roses. Uh, it's a it's a bumpy path to the future. I guess that's always the case. Hardware is hard. It's a hard thing. <laughs> Hardware is hard. Devices. We've always said that, right? I, yeah. But I think this is the silver lining. And I know people are really feeling it right now, like with the announcements. I mean, I went through a layoff at Magic Leap where they laid off, you know, 700 people. Like it was very painful. I think everyone that's gone through a layoff, you know, my heart goes out to them. I hope that they will find new roles. But that being said, the fact that you have so many amazing and brilliant people going into the workforce, they're probably going to create amazing things. That's exactly right. This is a great time to be hiring 3D developers. Very exciting time. Or um, for them to bunch. be launching their own things. Like I yeah, can't even imagine true. the things like that are going to come from this. So, um, that's a, you know, that's so a good point. And in a way, it's like, it's like cloud computing, right? It just yeah. knocks out development cycles. It means it's faster to start a company and often it's less, you need less capital to yeah. start a business. Okay, so in the remaining minutes that we have, take us out past this bumpy uh, period that <laughs> we're in the speed bumps and tell me about the brilliant future ahead. What do you see coming in the future in immersive media, virtual worlds and spatial computing? Uh, I think the next decade is gonna be incredibly important and interesting in the way humans interact with technology. It's it's going to be, it's going to continue to be fast-paced change. The, the fast-paced change that we're living through the last 12 months, it's going to continue. It's it's not slowing down. I mean, AI is supercharging everything and it's heading into that spatial computing future. So uh, we're going to interact with technology in a much more natural, human-centered way. And we're eventually going to lose our phones. We're going to you know, leave our phones at home, which sounds crazy to a lot of people. We're like, I would never leave my phone at home. Um yeah, and I think I think merge, physical and virtual will continue to converge. It, it'll be very interesting. I'm excited. My hope is that we also, you know, find solutions for climate change because 
I always say people and people are like, what makes you, you know, concerned? I'm like, well, if we don't address climate climate change, then we're not going to have all the you know, all these things and and all the uh, you know all the the virtualization that we want to see. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I'm concerned. I'm concerned what, about what climate change. I'm concerned of, about uh, AI. Some things in AI. So. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the future of fashion. So the fashion Ooh, industry, yeah. you know, they're they've been very bold. I think more than most mm-hmm. people expected. And um, you know, ever since Burberry went like digital first, right? They were one of the first companies to do that. But that was almost a decade ago. Um, how do you see fashion unfolding? What's your vision of a fashion show in ten years? I think we're gonna con- we're gonna have a lot more interactive fashion. We're gonna have um, you know virtual fabrics. We're gonna have more frontier materials and technologies used in fashion. Um, I mean, I have some amazing things up my sleeve in the fashion world that I can't really <laughs> talk about, but um, but yeah, I think we're going to see amazing things. Um, let me read to you this prediction that uh, Debbie Basuki did at, um, at RDC, at their developers conference. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. Well, basically he said in the next five years, this is one of his predictions for the next five years. A top fashion designer will be discovered on Roblox without having any experience in physical fashion. So I think that says it all. That's where we're going. And um, fashion will continue to be a, uh, one of the first movers. And yeah, I mean, from a fashion perspective, I'm extremely excited about the future of fashion. One of the cool things that's happening in manufacturing now is that they do digital manufacturing. So all the design happens on computers. They can actually simulate the usage of it. They can simulate the manufacturing process. And um, what the, the CEO of NVIDIA said to me, he said, Robert, when we design a chip, it mm-hmm. exists on the computer. And he said, it's as real as it's ever going to be on the computer. And the, the version on the computer is the parent. The child is the physical part that we manufacture. And that's probably going to happen in a lot of fields. Almost mm-hmm. certain fashion is on that track already. And that yeah. starts to lead us to stuff like fashion on demand, the ability for me to customize and print out, maybe even 3D print my own fashions. Mm -hmm. I know there's been experimentation in that, but it hasn't really caught on. My sense is that that's going to come in the future, faster fashion. Well, maybe not fast. I don't know if a faster fashion is something we need, um, but I do think (laughs) we're going to continue to see more, you know, evolution there. Like I'm a big, I'm a big believer in digital fashion, virtual fashion, potentially being one of the solutions to fast fashion because it's something I can use ones and zeros to create. People can see it through their spatial computer and I don't have to like, you know, buy a 999 shirt and just throw it, you know. Oh, so you're the distinction you're making there is the fast fashion that is like destined for the landfill, the stuff that's Yeah, uh, like that concerns me, right? So so I do see virtual fashions potentially being in, you know, a way to kind of... um, Right. Yeah. Additive manufacturing is extremely efficient and you're Mm -hmm. only making the one that you want as opposed to, you know, the 30 that you don't get sold. All right. Well, gosh, uh, Kathy, it's been a great pleasure. How can people find you on the web? People are listening to the show might like to track you down. So what's the best way to do for them to hear your thoughts and read your thoughts? Folks can definitely find me on LinkedIn. That's kind of where I share a lot of great content. Uh, C-A-T-H-Y-H-A-C-K-L. They can also find me, find my website, um, you know, and then I also have a WhatsApp group um, where I share Lots of news and things that I'm experiencing on a daily basis with thousands of people. Uh, it's kind of like a newsletter, but it's a group. And yeah, you know, just across the web. Um, and yeah, just thrilled to thrilled to have been here. Super fun to have you on the show. Thank you, Kathy Hackle. Great joy to see you again. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to the crew at Provoke Media that make the show possible. Uh, so Kevin Hirshhorn, our engineer, Elizabeth Severance, our producer. Thank you for making the futurist the top podcast on the subject of the future. And um, every week, we will be bringing you another person who is building the future that they envision. 
and we will see you in the future. Well, that's it for The Futurists this week. If you like the show, we sure hope you did. Please subscribe and share it with the people in your community. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review that really helps other people find the show. And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at, at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.